We talk about weddings. We talk about births. We talk about graduations. We talk about the beginnings of things. And sometimes we get in the way of thinking that supposes, well, that's the be-all and the end-all. No, when that baby's just born, you just start to. I talked to a new parent, and they say, we have a baby. And that's great. You're going to be learning something. You're going to be learning what it is to get two hours of sleep at night, etc., etc., etc. You get a new job, you get a new arrangement, you get to make a move this, change about that, and there's something new. That is not the end of the line. Whether it's a natural arrangement, whether it's a spiritual development, growth. I attended an ordination where it's, well, I'm, I'm ordained, man. I guess I have a right. No, you just been turned loose to get to work, to serve the Lord. We have a job to do. And if you're a Christian, God didn't save you to just take up space. Did you know that? I'm kind of surprised they didn't run them out, but I was in a service once with a preacher who said, God didn't save you to just sit on that pew and just take up space. I could put a brick on that pew and be just as faithful. The point is, we have a job to do. I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 19. And the Lord used four words at the end of the 13th verse. <clears throat> they let us know in no uncertain terms that there's a job to be done. And yeah, it's true. None of us get any younger. Come February, you'll catch up with me, aren't you? January. It'll be here for you, know it, bro. That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Now the Lord is using a parable to teach something here. But there's a great truth. Look at this 13th verse of Luke 19. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman, I'm sorry, that's 12, verse 13, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said to them, Occupy till I come. I think sometimes people think that just means be there and that's the end of the line. No. There's a lot more than just taking up space. There are opportunities for service. A couple of weeks ago, I gave the ladies of this church, a little booklet by a famous Baptist preacher from Kentucky, H. Boyce Taylor. Women's work in Baptist churches. It's true, a woman has no business serving as a pastor. But she can and ought to serve in the many capacities that are open to her. She can teach the younger women. She can teach the children. Uh, we, we have women that play the instruments. Did you notice that? Yeah. People say, well, the Bible says don't let the women. They're supposed to be silent. 
I would send them away ahead this morning if the ladies didn't play these instruments. If the ladies didn't sing. I think we had more females than males up here, didn't we? Those ladies are good to carry a tune. But it's important to emphasize that there is an opportunity. There is an obligation. There is a sense of occupation. That's my subject. The Christian's occupation. Yes, there's a sense in which the Scriptures speak of our vocation. That, that's more of an internal thing. We're talking about a calling that one senses. I believe a man is called to preach not just some, well, I read the Bible and I know some stuff that I'm going to talk about. And that's not my understanding of what it means to preach. You have a fire within and you want to share that vision that the Lord has given through His Word. But an occupation, that talks about some business that needs to be taken care of. The words used in the Scripture, it says that when the Hebrews came down into Egypt, Joseph told them in chapters 46 and 47 how important it was to tell the Egyptians that by occupation they were shepherds. We read about a couple. His name was Aquila and her name was Priscilla. And you remember what their occupation was? Anybody? They were tempting. They work with their hands. In fact, in the Jewish mindset, all males, even if they were scholars, they could train their mind and they could teach, but they also learned to work with their hands. There's a problem in a society where people look down their nose at somebody because they make their living using their hands. I tell you, I've gone under the knife a few times. I'm so glad the doctor used his head, but he used his hands too. He had training. He had an appreciation of it. And so we speak of our occupation. And that means there's something for us to do. I hear people say, can't wait to get to heaven because I'm just basically going to goof off. And they think, if I had a bunch of money, I would just goof off. I saw a cartoon, it might as well be a cartoon, a commercial, <clears throat> and one of these celebrities are celebrating for being celebrated, uh, calls himself Snoop Doggy or something like that. He, he's on a beach, and he's chilling on the beach. And the other guy says, here's what we're going to do today, Snoop. And he says, give me your phone, man. And he puts it in the bucket. And he says, please go and chill. So that, that's living. I got nothing to do and all day to do it. Really? Folks, that gets old. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to goof on. People go, I love to go fishing. I think in heaven, I'm going to be fishing all the time. And you show me that in Scripture. I'm going to argue, just show me that in the Scripture. We have an occupation. And we should be getting ready for it now. We can be, yeah, we got our own living. We got to pay bills. We got to do things. We got chores to do. Uh, by the way, 
there are still some opportunities, gentlemen, to cut the grass. Now, we've got uh, one brother who is put in to be the sprayer for bugs and weeds and stuff like that. And I know of three already who've made a commitment. In fact, I saw one out here yesterday cutting the grass. That's a good thing. There's something we can do. I've had Paul preacher. I can't do this. I can't. What can you do? What are you willing to do for the cause of Christ? And I guarantee you, you might not be able to stand in the pulpit and preach. You might not be able to stand before a classroom and teach. And you might not feel comfortable praying out loud. But you can in your closet, in the cabin of your truck or whatever. You can and you ought to pray. We all ought to be prayer warriors. We all ought to take seriously. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. We have too many fainters out there already, don't we? But what is it that we can all and ought all to be doing? There's something for us to do. Three things I want to emphasize. Our New Testaments tell us, and if you like the letter L, you'll like this, because all three of these start with L. Hebrews chapter 12, if you don't mind. Hebrews chapter 12. We're reminded about the fact that there are many who have gone before us. They put their time in. They made a mark for good. They've done such works that their works do follow them. It says in, of Abel in the 11th chapter that his works are such that they follow. Look at verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me tell you what. You can think about some other character in the Bible. Good examples. Daniel, a great example. Philip P. Bliss, he wrote one of the songs we sang this morning, but he wrote another one. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a perfect uh, purpose first. Dare to make it known. But Daniel was a sinner like all of us. He had feet of clay. He had his shortcomings. He was a human being like the rest of us. But he did what he could. He did what he should. There's a woman in Scripture. We're not absolutely sure what her name was, but Jesus said of her, wherever the Gospel is preached, what she has done will be remembered. You know why? She has done what she could. Don't say she could have done it, but she didn't get around to it. She had the best of intentions. I want you to show me a Scripture which says so-and-so had good intentions and no. Something about works. See how Sunday school helps me? You know, I hear some of these things, Brother Dad talking in Sunday school. Sometimes Brother Kenny will say something in devotion and say, Well, Lord, that just kind of confirms what I'm planning to speak on this morning. Because we need to be challenged, we need to be provoked. I know some people would provoke in the wrong kind of way. Lord, to provoke one of the love and good works. Do the right thing. It's not in Scripture, but I say it a lot. May their tribe increase. We need more of the do-gooders. We don't need as many of the do-nothingers. What does it say? Looking unto Jesus. Now during his earthly ministry, there are 
ones who wanted to come and they wanted to see him in a physical sense. We can't do that today. But figuratively, we can. We are charged to be looking unto Jesus. If you want an example of a Christian life, each and every one of us, starting with me, we should be conscientious to know that when people look at us, they're going to judge Christianity by what we do and don't do, by what we say and don't say, by where we do and do not go. I'm imperfect, but God's not through with me. That seems true with you. But the one to look to, it's not, well, look at Peter. Yeah, sometimes Peter did the right thing. Sometimes he did the wrong thing. Look at Moses. Sometimes he did the right thing. Sometimes he did the wrong thing. But if you want to look to someone who always did the right thing, always had the right take, looking unto Jesus. Now, in the 14th of Matthew, it tells us about Peter, who was in a boat with some other folks, and they saw Jesus. And he wasn't really sure at first. He said, Lord, if it's you, bid us to come. And the Lord, come ahead. And people critique Peter. You know, he kind of lost it there. But you know what? And tell me who else got out of the boat. Right. Nobody. It's easy to stay in the boat and critique. It's easy to be the guy. I don't like the way so-and-so does such and such. But you ever thought about the fact, I like the way they do something a lot better than the way you don't do a thing. Because in the final analysis, it's not the critic that counts. It's the one who sticks their neck out. The one who is willing to be there, to step up to the plate. And so Peter literally stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. Did Peter have some magic? Did he have some floaty shoes? No. It was the Lord that sustained him. But here's what we can take from that lesson. Yes, keep your eyes on Jesus. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was okay. But what happened? He gets out there in the sea. He's outside the safety area of being in the boat. And he heard and felt the wind blowing. He could see the waves going up and down and all around. And you know what kind of thought's going through his head? You know, I could get killed out here. I could drown. And it didn't take long before he starts to go down. And he called out to the Lord. And the Lord saved him. The Lord might let you stew, but he's not going to let you spoil. Sometimes people get worried when the Lord's letting them stew. Sometimes he shakes up our nest just to let us know uh, we're not 10 foot tall and bulletproof. We're not impervious. We have our challenges. We need the Lord. Yeah, we need each other too, but we need the Lord even more. So looking unto Jesus, we have an example in Peter. And we also have, it's an exhortation to look unto Jesus. Now, in what we call Hebrews chapter 11, we have example after example of men and women, individuals and groups 
who in faith, by faith, through faith, accomplished great things. And the Lord was with them, each and every one of them, in His way, according to His purpose. We have a great God. And that's not just something to know in your head. That's something to say with your mouth and live with your life. A few minutes ago, we said God is good all the time. Hope you remember that on Tuesday. What's special about Tuesday? Nothing except it's a day after Monday. It is the day before Wednesday. But the Lord is with His people everywhere. If the Lord could be with Jam Jonah in the belly of the whale, I don't know how deep he was below the surface of the Mediterranean when he called out the Lord. You know, there are places you can be where even your cell phone won't work. Every time we venture up to Little Rock, we, we can get messages, we can make messages, and then we get an old service around here. How many bars do we have, Margaret? We don't have a bar to save our life out here. We're just out here in the woods. The only one we can talk to is the horde out here. Well, that's pretty good. Because the Lord doesn't get cut off. The Lord doesn't have a problem with the cell phone or internet or anything else. You can have a storm knock out your juice. Mr. Purcell, we had to call him because we had a storm and it knocked us out. But I've never had to call the angel Gabriel. We can't pray because our connection's been lost here. Could you come set this thing up? No. Well, the Lord is there. No matter where you are, no matter how dark the time, no matter how desperate you may sense things are. Yes, the heroes of faith, they were people just like us. The prophets, they, were, they weren't perfect. But there were men of prayer. There were those who attempted to serve the Lord. And even with feet of clay, they served and in their way, they were an example. But we look to Jesus. If you back up to the second chapter of Hebrews, it says we see Jesus. He's, he's called the author and finisher of the faith. But a similar expression is rendered right here in Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. But we see Jesus. Don't just think about Jesus. See Him with your mind's eye. Desire to see the pattern that He lived and to follow that way. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Think of the humiliation that the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, took a position lower than that of the created beings who attended Him in heaven. We see Him crowned with glory and honor. He is altogether worthy. Amen. He is the one, as we read in the Song of Solomon, who is truly altogether lovely. There's no ugliness about Jesus. There's no insufficiency in Jesus. That He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. If you've been born only once, you will die twice. <laughs> But if you've been born twice, you'll only die once. If the Lord should come before that, you might not even die at all. 
The important thing is who Christ is and what it is that He has done. Now, we're to be looking unto Jesus. And number two, John 3, verse 14. A man came by night, probably because he's afraid of what people would say if they saw a ruler of the Jews going to this renegade rabbi Jesus. His name was Nick. His full name was Nick Ademus. And he's talking with Jesus and had some questions. Jesus didn't say, I'm not here to answer questions. No. He talked with the fellow. And he pointed the fact that the man needed Jesus Christ. He had plenty of religion. He had plenty of notoriety. But he didn't have the Lord. He needed to be born again. And then in the midst of that, this fellow who knew Hebrew history, who knew the teaching of the commandments and the ordinances of God, he knew the heritage of the Hebrew people. Now, if he was talking to a Gentile, they might not have had a clue if Jesus said, remember what happened in the wilderness with the fiery serpents? That'd be lost on a lot of people. By the way, these people that I want to read the New Testament, uh, then that doesn't mean a whole lot to you if you only read the New Testament. Because nestled back in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, ain't but, what, five, six verses? It talks about the fiery serpents that came out. And they had a problem. These snakes would bite them and they'd die real quick. And they had no cure. Positive thinking wouldn't do it. Putting a poultice on them wouldn't cure them. Waiting it out, you'd be dead. And so God told Moses, you take a serpent made of brass. And you put it on a pole. And you tell, he didn't say, go over there and, and, and worship that thing. No. He didn't say, go over there and, and touch that thing. No. He didn't say, I want you to meditate. No. He said, look and live. I don't doubt there were some of those Hebrews who said, why do I want to look at a snake made of brass? Snake's the problem. You know what? By man came condemnation. A guy named Adam. By man too comes salvation. The first man, Adam. We died because of him spiritually. But because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The second Adam. The last man, if you will. We have life. And so, as Jesus is talking to this ruler among the Jews... He makes an allusion to ancient history. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That spoke volumes to Nicodemus. You see, your hope is not this church or any church. Your hope is not in the baptismal tank or the creek, or wherever. Your hope is not in doing good works. The problem with a lot of people is they think, 
If I do the work, the Lord will save. It's the other way around. If the Lord saves you, then you're supposed to do the work. Amen. See? Sunday school? I'm listening. We need to know how important it is. Uh, the guy that writes the lesson, he says, some people, all the thing they know about good works is he didn't save us. No, we weren't saved by it, but we we're saved for good works. In order to do good works. You say, I'm a Christian because... Because what? Is the Lord working in your life? Do you show it? Do you care? Are you striving to be more like your Master? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, no, I'm, I've just got fire insurance, basically. Really? That might be one reason why it says examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You see, it's a historic faith that people looked to that brazen serpent. And the reason I was in there was not just a footnote in Hebrew history, but it was a very important example of what we do with Christ. We look to Him and we see Him lifted up. Men called for Him to be crucified. Some wanted to throw rocks down on Him. Some wanted to put Him down here and put Him down there. The Lord says, I'm going to be lifted up. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Words that song mean something to you. I guarantee you they mean something to me. <coughs> Move ahead to John chapter 12 because it was not merely a historic fact. Looking back to centuries earlier, Jesus said, Keep this in mind because something's coming up. Keep your eyes open, folks. You know, if you're going to count, Marcia sits a little bit down and says, let's learn to count, boys and girls. One, two, three, four. So look at John chapter 1, 2, verse 3, 4. Okay? John 12, 34. What's it say? The people answered, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? So it wasn't just talking to Nicodemus the Lord said that. The Son of Man must be lifted up. It is critical. We're, on, we're not saved without the lifting up of Christ. He was lifted up. He did for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves. Who is this Son of Man? That's a good question. We have the answer, don't we? Just like in the book of Acts, Philip is told, see that chariot? Yeah. Run over there and join it. And he runs over there. And here's a guy probably out loud reading from what we know as the book of Isaiah. And Philip had a lot of nerve, you know. And they say, you know, it's a lot of noise because it, you understand what you're reading? Why somebody that be rude to ask somebody that question? But it was providential. He asked him, Do you understand what you're what you reading? How can I accept some man guiding? I need somebody to tell me who's who, what's what, what's going on here? And Philip did not reach in his pocket and pull out the four spiritual laws. Let me tell you what it's all about. Let me draw you a picture. Let me show you a film. Let's act out a little play. No. 
It says, from that passage, he preached to him Jesus. You know what my job is? To preach Jesus. You know what your job is? To think on these lines. To be looking unto Jesus. To be lifting up Jesus. That's what invigorates men even today. Paul told the Corinthians how important it is. He says, the Jews, they want a son. And the Greeks look for wisdom. Our job is to talk about Christ. Christ crucified. Later in that book, chapter 9, I believe it's verse 16, he says, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. If I never bring up the gospel. If I never speak of the good news, that great news, that euangelion is the Greek for it. It means glad tidings. We got a problem, and only God can save it, can provide it. It's not the Spirit, it's not the Father. It's the Son who became flesh, dwelt among men, lived a perfect example, taught perfect lessons, worked his miracles, and then the greatest thing of all. No wonder Paul says, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. That word unspeakable means. We can't encapsulate it in mere words. If you say, preacher, give me the, the most important thing out of the Bible in eight words or less. I couldn't do that. You said 88 words. If you said 888 words, I am never going to exhaust the things of God. And you aren't either. It's unspeakable in the sense that we can't say it all, but we sure ought to try. Some people think that word unspeakable is, well, I mean, I'm not supposed to talk about it. That's the wrong take on unspeakable there. <coughs> so yes, looking up to Jesus, point to Him as the example. Point to Him as our spokesman, the great prophet, the great priest, the great king. And we lift Him up. We look to the example that He set. And then the last bell, Go with me, please, Paul's letter to the Philippians. You see, physically and figuratively, we look unto Jesus. Physically and figuratively, we are to be lifting up Jesus. But I want you to know that pointedly and perpetually, it's not just getting started. I believe it was Solomon who says the end of a thing is better than the beginning. You say, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Well, keep with it. Keep on keeping on. You know, it would be wonderful if we came across a verse that said not to be weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Oh, that is the Scripture, isn't it? You know where? I'll give you a hint. Paul wrote it to the churches in Galatia. So that would be in Galatians chapter 6. But be not weary martyrs. The Lord willing will be singing that to church camp. But rejoicing. Pointedly and perpetually. You say, I'm a Christian. What now? It's not just a one-time experience. Well, I got that. It's done. I'm ready for heaven now. I just kick back and chill out. Sit on the beach. Hang loose because the Lord's done it all. 
there is a problem, and I even know some brethren, the Lord Jesus paid it all as if that means there's nothing for me to do. There sure is. We should be known for the work so the people would see that not to pat me on the back or you, but to say, what a great Savior. The Lord took some hopeless, worthless sinner and gave him life, gave him hope, gave him a reason to live. Gave him something to do. We're to be busy. We're to be diligent. Philippians 1, 21. Here was Paul who knew that the folks in Philippi desperately needed to be taught. They needed an example. They needed an encourager. And, you know, Paul celebrated a few birthdays, too. Toward the end, he referred to himself as Paul the Aged. He went around the block a few times. More than he might want to have recognized. And uh, finally comes into the end. Then he says, folks, let me tell you something. Humanly speaking, I'd be a lot better off if I just died right now and went to heaven. Why am I still here, you wonder? Because it's God's purpose, God's pleasure that I be here serving Him, showing His people, encouraging His people. <coughs> Marsha and I went to visit a lady who was in the hospital. And she said, well, the Lord hasn't taken me home yet. I guess He's got something for me to do. <coughs> and I'm thinking, good, good, good. But I know what it is, so I don't do anything. I'm just waiting. Would you want that to be your testimony? Would you want people to put on your headstone, although probably not too many people would actually have this written, but a lot of people might be thinking it. They had good intentions. They were no worse than anybody else. Well, that's a great eulogy, isn't it? They just muddled through just like the rest of us. No, to have a desire to show Christ. To look to Him. To lift Him up. And to live for Him. Paul says, I'll tell you what, for me, living is, I can't wait to get that stake down there. I can't wait to win that award. I can't wait to be recognized. I want an accolade. I want to be spoken highly of. I want to be highly regarded. Let's see, I've got 19 grandchildren. I'll be happy the Lord gives me a 20th and so on and so forth. In His time, in His way, according to His purpose and pleasure, the Lord deals with us in our lives. I've already outlived a lot of the men who meant so much to me and invested so much in me. I know sure the Lord's return. I'm going to die. And I'm closer to it than I've ever been. Rather than whining about what I can't do, I should be attempting to do all that I can. And I think I'm in good company. That's what Paul said here. He says, for me, to live is Christ. And for me, if I live long enough, I'll have a big chunk of money in the bank. If I live long enough, I'll have a reputation. If I live long enough, I'll be so highly regarded and I will be honored. I'll go down in the history books. 
For me to live is Christ. I want my life to remind people about Christ. There's a song. I don't know if any of the rest of you know it, but I'm pretty sure Marcia knows it, and I think I can still remember. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That's what's important. If somebody doesn't remember your name, if somebody doesn't remember my name, they're not losing out. But the name of Christ, the work of Christ, the example set by Christ. So to live for Him pointedly, you don't just accidentally do it. We went to the funeral for the mother of one of Mary's students when we were there in Little Rock. And the preacher said, Dear Sister So-and-so, we know what a good Christian she was because she died on her knees. Well, I asked around. And I said, yeah, she did die on her knees. <laughs> she lost the remote, so she got on her knees to change it from the TV game show. And that's when she had a heart attack. But the preacher mentioned that part. He said, she died on her knees. Was she in prayer? Well, she was on her knees. Yeah, sometimes the less better, some folks think. But it's important, the preparation. Paul was prepared. He was ready to die. He made it clear. Finally, he writes Timothy, 2 Timothy 4. I am ready. I've fought the good fight. I've put in my time. I have kept the faith. I've done what I was supposed to. And I'm ready. He lived as a living sacrifice, like he told the Romans. In chapter 12. And that's something you do day after day after day after day. You don't retire from Mass. But then there was a time he would be making the ultimate sacrifice. He looked forward to his life being poured out. You can't do that once. Unless the Lord brings you back from the dead. I'm not anticipating the Lord's going to do that with me. And I don't think you ought to Expect that's going to happen. We have a little saying. Only one life will soon be passed. You know how the rest of it goes? Only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. The trophies, the honors, the accolades that come to you. It's gone. That's it. So much better to be like those who have dedicated their lives. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm going to close with this one. You might know this from memory. And that's great. Paul lets us know what's going on in his mind. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. That's not a casual thing. So what are you going to do this week? Oh, they don't get crucified. I don't think so. It's a gruesome. It's a horrific and it's a one-time thing. Those who witnessed crucifixions were never the same. To see men reduced to basically chunks of flesh on display. To breathe their last and sometimes to be eaten by the buzzards or whatever. The cries, the screams that would go on. You hear about being crucified. Oh, no big deal. Everybody's got to go. You don't want to go that way. Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, I'm crucified with Christ. But that's not the end of the line. 
Nevertheless, I live. See, in his mind, he saw himself reckoned dead to this world, but alive to Christ. How does he say it? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's not Steve Rains that's doing it. It's the Lord. I don't want to get in the way. I want it to live my life such a way that Christ is seen and not me. When you see this flawed character, just remember, the Lord's still working on me. But may you see Christ. May you understand that our great God and Savior does a work in every one of us. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, you know how I live it? I live it by the faith of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know why? He loved me. He gave Himself for me. My wife loves me, but she didn't die for me. I love her, but I didn't die for her. Jesus has done more for me than anybody else. And he's done more for his people than anybody else. You say, well, there's mama. We honor our mothers. We ought to. That's what we had Mother's Day for. But every day we ought to be honoring, as the Lord tells us. But mama's not your Savior. Even the mother of Jesus spoke of God, my Savior. We honor the Lord. He's the one who can. He's the one who does. He's the one who continues. Paul says, he's the one who hath delivered. And he doth deliver. And we trust that he shall yet deliver. What are we supposed to do? Occupy till I come. Keep looking. Keep lifting. And keep living. Let's 